KV Mart stores are rooted in the communities we serve, and we are connected to the land in the same way our customers are. Whether you're an urban farmer, backyard chicken aficionado, traditional rancher, or anything in between, we offer just the right mix of homesteading, outdoor adventure, DIY, yard and garden, outdoor and workwear, husbandry, livestock, and pet supplies. Whether you're a dabbler or all in, we're here to help and strive to offer a range of products that will meet the unique needs of our customers. PV Mart will always be there with the tools, equipment, indoor or outdoor wares, seed or feed, for everyday work, fun, or connecting to the land on a whole new level. For more information, go to pvmart.com. Hi, I'm Ian Sherwood. As a songwriter and musician, I've traveled through countless small towns, heard incredible stories, and witnessed some of the amazing ways in which people in towns and cities across this vast country have woven their lives into the land they live on. It's made me think about the way I interact with my own environment and the natural world, where my family's food comes from, what impact I'm having on the planet, and what we're all leaving behind for our kids to inherit. So now I'm on a mission to learn about how I can tap back into the essence of where we all come from. Today, with so much at our fingertips, it's easy to lose sight of the most important connection we have. Welcome to Connected to the Land. Not too long ago, we did a series of episodes on homesteads. I talked with folks who were making the change from on-the-grid living to a more self-sustained lifestyle. From raising hens, goats, maple syrup tapping, and expansive gardens, these people had found a mainline connection to the land. In every case, however, it required land. A square foot garden needs square feet. Goats do roam. So what about those who don't have the option of moving out of the city, or who are just tied to smaller spaces for whatever reason, economic, employment, choice, Apartments and condos are a reality in today's world of expanding population. Does that disqualify one from being able to enjoy the experience and reap the benefits of growing our own food? If you live in an apartment in a city center, is having a salad garden a pipe dream? Can we realistically grow our own food in a small space, and what kind of yield can we reasonably expect? I wanted to know more, so I called up Anila Maharaj a lifelong small space gardener and successful YouTuber to talk about the constraints of growing in limited space. We talked about the foods that thrive in apartment gardens, the benefits of being able to move your plants indoors, and how to best shake a fruit tree. Hint, get a big rock. Anila, welcome to Connected to the Land. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it is my pleasure. So um, you live in Toronto. I used to live in Toronto. Um, how how are things in Toronto these days? Well, uh, they're good, but they might not be depending on who you ask. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I, I, I do live in Toronto. I have lived here my whole life, except for a three-year stint that I did in India after I got married. Mm. And so I, I grew up on the same street, uh, pretty much in the same condo. And then when my husband and I moved back, we moved 10 minutes away from my original oh, apartment. Wow. And right. so, I've, yeah, I've been in a, a microcosm of sorts, um, in and out, but always coming back to Toronto, which has been my home yeah. forever. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're talking about small space gardening today, but, you know, I feel like we could really, you could give a talk on just living and thriving in small spaces. After watching a few videos on your YouTube channel, you, you've got a 900 square foot condo in Toronto 
and there are three of you living in it. Um, yes. I feel like you have some pretty salient tips regarding small space living in general that maybe can help us understand the principles of small space gardening. I don't know. Would you agree? Are there, are there ties between the two? I definitely think there are connections. Um, living in a small space certainly has its challenges. I think when, like me, you've grown up in a condo your entire life, mm. that's just the way you live. And when I talk to other people, it appears as though there are some principles that I have for living in a small space, but that's just the way that my life has been shaped by the environment in which I've grown up, which is um, I went from condo to condo. Now, strangely enough, Ian, I should tell you that mm. we recently bought a house. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so we congratulations. Are, thank you. It was very difficult. Um, <laughs> we are in a bigger space, but the interesting thing is uh, three of us, my husband, myself, and our baby, were in this 900-square-foot condo. My parents were living in the original condo in which I grew up, and they're older. They're in their 80s, and we just thought that we should all be together. My dad is going to be mm. 88 this year. My mom will be 83. And I want them nearby. I want them involved in my kid's life every day as much as possible. Yeah. I want to be near them too. So we've all moved into a house together. So it, it oh, was, wow. we had some space for a while there, but now we have two more people. So <laughs> we are still actually um, navigating many of the challenges of small space living because now there are five of us. Wow. Okay. So are you in the house now? I am in the house right now. Yes. Oh my gosh. All right. Um, well, you know, but it's, I'm, I'm glad that you're keeping up with the small space living because that's what we're talking about today. I mean, I, I hope for more space for you in the future, but, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I still think it's, you have a lot to offer because you've, you've lived, as you mentioned, this kind of, uh, uh, small space living your entire life. Um, so, but that, that kind of brings on the next question for me then. So if you've, if you've grown up like this living in, in, in condos in downtown Toronto, having a garden is not necessarily something that everyone so, sort of leans towards. Like they might try it for a little bit or, you know, but it's, it, you know, the circumstances of living like that does, they don't necessarily lend themselves to gardening. And yet you have a garden and you thrive in gardening. What, what got you into trying small space gardening? When I was growing up, my mom always had a lot of plants. Our condo, when I was a child, to me, was a veritable jungle because there were plants everywhere. And I think at one point I had counted like 67 plants. Wow. Now, oh, wow. she had her tricks. You know, she would use yeah. plant stands. She would mount plants on the wall. She had hanging plants. And, of right. course, there were plants on our balcony. But my mom has always had this love of plants, of greenery, of gardening. And she was a teacher. And her classroom was full of plants, too. And I think that also created a really beautiful environment for her students. Yeah. And having plants in our home certainly created a beautiful environment for me growing up. And it was just normal to have plants around me. And I, I, it's great. I love it. So when I had a home of my own, when I moved out and it came to, when I say designing my space, what were the things that I was going to bring into this space that made me comfortable, that made me happy, that enriched me? plants were top of the list. I mean, it wasn't like I thought about it. I just, right. I needed plants in my space. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and so plants are one thing, but then gardening and growing yes. food, was that, uh, did that come later or did that come right away? That, that came for me a little later, I would say, Ian. Um, now growing up, I didn't do a lot of cooking. My mom cooked mm. primarily. And then 
when I got married, I found that I had to cook. And so, you know, I was buying ingredients and cooking things. And then I just thought, well, how great would it be to just step outside onto my balcony, Mm. pick a few things, even if it was some cherry tomatoes or some herbs, and just have that freshness at my disposal right there. And then I thought, well, okay, what can I fit here? What's doable? What's practical? And you know, what, what do I want to do with that space? Because for everybody, or for, I'm sorry, for, for everyone, a balcony might not be a place to garden and, right. and it depends, there's an intentionality behind it. So it mm. really depends on what you are willing to put on that balcony space, which in Toronto can be so tiny. Yeah. I mean, it, sometimes you just use, it's a step out balcony. You just step out and there, you can't turn around. <laughs> you yeah. can't really fit chairs or a table or anything. And So it's about what you want to do with that space. So that intentionality, I would say, is a component inside and outside when we're talking about a condo with a very small outdoor space. Right. And a condo with a space that maybe has a little bit of sunlight as well, because not every balcony is going to have that. That's true. I mean, that depends on your, well, now we're talking about your exposure. What exposure do you have and how much sun, how many hours of sun do you have? And, you know, water is less of a concern here. Fortunately for us, it's not really a scarcity but right if you're planning to grow food on your balcony then that's something to consider yeah absolutely your exposure yeah have you i mean i think maybe i know the answer to this based on the history you just gave me but have you ever have you ever had a garden in the ground yes and no (laughs) so when i was well (laughs) the answer to that is uh it's, it's primarily no because i haven't lived in a house but my family is originally from trinidad and we would go back in the summers when my grandmother was still alive to mm. our house. We have a house back there. And on that property, we had avocado trees, mango trees, um, peppers, uh, root vegetables, ground vegetables, coconuts. So, and I was only ever in that environment for two months out of the year over the summers in my childhood. And just You know, my mom and dad were so full of joy when they would go out into the land and come back with just avocados. If you wanted a mango, you could just go and pick a mango. Well, you'd have to actually have to throw a stone at the tree and then try to knock down your mango and then hopefully catch it. So it wasn't like picking a mango. (laughs) Is that how you pick mangoes? Oh, that's, that's how we picked them. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there, you know, there are better ways if you had a, a reacher of some kind, right. but that's how we did it. I Throw like a that. stone yeah. and hope for the best. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. But the coconut, you had to climb the whole tree to get the coconut. Right? Yes. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that's the only time that I, and I wouldn't call that a garden. I would just say that was land with, you know, uh, fruit trees and coconut trees and, and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, okay. So, well, may, maybe then with the little bit of experience you've had with a little bit of outdoor growing, I mean, but let's talk about the advantages of small gardens mm-hmm. over, a, over a large garden. Maybe, have you ever thought about that? Like, because I know it can sometimes be a little bit, um, you know, you, you have constraints when you have, you're trying to do things sort of out of the, the normal environment in which you're doing something and be like, ah, well, I'm making do, but what are the advantages? Like, do you ever think to yourself, well, you know what? I have this small garden, but at least I'm using less water or there's less weeding or there's less work. Like, yeah. have you ever thought about that? I haven't given it a lot of thought, but as, as we're discussing it now, I'm thinking of myself and my mm-hmm. own characteristics and how much time do I want to spend toiling outside? Right. <laughs> and yeah. I would think that having a smaller garden definitely is easier to maintain um, yeah. just 
and also I would say if we're talking about living in an urban setting, I'm just assuming that many of us have, you know, jobs or families or other things that we're doing. And it's not necessarily part of our lifestyle to want to be outside in, in a field, in the land, doing all of that work when we have so many other responsibilities, perhaps. Mm -hmm. yeah. So to that note, I would say that the general maintenance of a small garden, a small urban garden is considerably less. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it does feel at times that we can't do as much as we want with that yeah. space. And perhaps that will always be a challenge. But I mean, definitely the work, I think, is probably <laughs> the biggest advantage or the, the lack of, of work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and you I'm, mentioned water, like less yeah. water, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've spoken to lots of people on this podcast about different ways of gardening. And as I mentioned, we did a whole series on on homesteading and folks who have sort of packed up and moved to a small acreage and, and uh, but it becomes almost a full-time job. And that's, and yes. often that's what they're going for. They're going to, be, to become a sustainable homestead. Um, you know, but I, I, I love the aspect of um, the idea of, of growing in combination with another set of uh, lifestyle principles, not principles, but just like circumstances. Because so yes. many of us have that. Like we're, we're not, not everyone is ready to kind of pack up and move to the country. It's just not, you know, something that we can reasonably expect to do. We have jobs, we have other things that we're, that are going on in our lives. And we might have a little bit of property, a little sun patch. What can we do with that? And I, and I feel like that conversation, the one that we're having right now, is so important these days. You know, on our pre-chat, we talked a little bit about the idea of food scarcity, how that now in this time in history, we're talking about it. We talked about it at the beginning of the pandemic, and now we're talking about it again. Um, you know, I think there are a lot of people who could learn a lot from this experience that you have growing in a small space, because I think folks are thinking, is it even possible for me to, to grow tomatoes? You know, when all I have is a five by 10 balcony off the third floor of an apartment building. Yes. And, uh, it is absolutely possible. Um, and yes, I mean, coming back to the idea of yeah. food scarcity and food insecurity, I think yes. that's, that's just a very important topic to at least touch on because, especially in some urban centers, people, and not just in, in Toronto, but around the world, people don't have access to fresh food. Hmm. Um, and then uh, there have been, uh, I saw something, I think on Insider on YouTube, maybe a couple of years ago, where people were, I guess, getting food, fruit carts or vegetable carts and going into these urban centers and selling fresh fruits and vegetables oh, where people wow. had never had access to it before. And some people like didn't know what, a pineapple looked like because for them pineapple came out of a can or yeah, something. And right. so uh, there's definitely a bigger conversation to be had there. Like I am not someone who has ever battled food insecurity. I've been yeah. very fortunate. And I think most of us perhaps have never been in that situation, but if someone mm. who had a small piece of, you know, like you said, a sun patch, it doesn't even have to have grass on it could produce some fresh food that might be life altering to that person. Yeah. Right. Yeah, And um, I, I do grow tomatoes on my balcony. <laughs> so to come back to what you were saying, I, I do. Now I, I stick to the smaller varieties. I tend okay. to do better with those because the condo that I lived in was incredibly strict about um, sort of things falling from one balcony to the next and neighbors mm. used to complain and things like that. So I stick to smaller varieties, things that you know, would go less awry should there be a windy day or, or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, you don't, um, I guess you don't want a melon falling on 
your neighbor's cat below or no <laughs> no i wouldn't <laughs> i mean i i often I, I joked because the gentleman below us actually complained when there was a windy day and some soil from my balcony fell onto his balcony oh. and he made a formal complaint to the condo board that i had contaminated his balcony oh, and i was my. so appalled at this accusation and i I said, it's a windy day, like soil and leaves and things like that. They're, they're going to blow around. You don't even know if it came from my balcony. Yeah, right. And he wanted me to pay to have his balcony cleaned. What? I know, it's so ridiculous. To me, it seems ridiculous. You know, I don't know what he was thinking. And yeah. I said, well, yeah, I said I'll offer to come and clean it for you, but I'm not going to pay for you to have it cleaned. It just seemed crazy to me. You know, I, well, this is, I mean, we could do a whole other conversation on this too. I mean, the idea of having a conversation and educating people as far as, I mean, it's the same conversation that happens a lot in suburban areas. And I feel like it's happening more and more, but the idea of people getting rid of their flush green lawns and, and putting a vegetable garden in the front of their house. Whereas yes. that used to be something that was relegated to the back of the house, you know, cause it was unsightly and you could have a beautiful flower garden in your front yard because yes, it looked yes. nice. But now things are changing and people are, are starting to realize that no, it actually, it's not just a wonderful hobby. It's actually a way for me to combat the, the growing cost of food and, and having foods that I wouldn't necessarily be able to enjoy, afford, slash having this on my own property. Um, yes. Sounds like the your neighbor below, who you don't have to deal with anymore, fantastically. No, thankfully. Um, could <laughs> do with that conversation. Um, okay, well, this draws in nicely to, to considering what it is that you're going to grow. Um, you know, I, I guess I never thought of this, but maybe neighbors in a windy day is something that you need to take into consideration. But um, uh, did you find that you were growing uh, what you couldn't easily find in a grocery store or were you supplementing what you would eat regularly? What what were these decision factors in, in, in helping you decide what you were going to grow each year? I was definitely aiming to supplement a little bit. Mm. Um, the year that we grew salad on the balcony. Mm. I loved that. I think we had such a great year. So I did two different varieties of tomato. I did a small cherry tomato as well as something called the green zebra, which I think is an invention, a hybrid of some kind, but it was right. a beautiful tomato to look at. And it was a good size. I would say a medium size, similar to aroma, just the size, not the shape and a really nice flavor as well. And then we did a variety of different uh, leafy things. So we did a bit of kale we did um, some curly leaf lettuce and I think a red lettuce. So I was still buying lettuce from the grocery store, but I was buying much less of it because yeah. the thing about lettuce is like, you know, the more you pinch it, the more it grows, right? And um, once it gets going, you do have to either eat it quickly or, yeah. you know, have enough space to let it grow out a little bit. And I did also that year um, some herbs. So what I like about growing herbs, and this is such an easy thing to grow because um, you can contain them very easily, right. right? If you were growing mint in a garden bed in a backyard, it would completely take over. It would strangle anything in its path. <laughs> but mm. in a small space, you put a bit of mint in a pot and it will stay there, which is great. And it won't choke out anything else. So what I liked about that year it just stands out to me because it was one of the best summers for growing in my memory was uh, making a lot of fresh food and then having those fresh herbs right there. And if you, if you cook, if you're someone who enjoys cooking and preparing food, then having fresh herbs at your disposal, right on your balcony 
it's great. I mean, it'll elevate your cooking. And when those herbs flower, if you let them grow to sort of the um, length of their lifespan, you'll also attract bees to your balcony, which is wonderful. So that has always gone hand in hand for me is supplementing a little bit. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough space, I think, to completely, you know, stop shopping at the grocery store or something like that. But definitely supplementing. So buying less because, you know, tomatoes come sometimes in um, plastic packaging, the cherry tomatoes and the grape tomatoes. So I would like to avoid plastic as much as possible. If you grow those, that's great. Same with lettuce. Sometimes it comes wrapped up. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cucumber comes wrapped up. The cucumber doesn't need to be wrapped up like that. So whatever I can grow, I know I'm not going to buy it. I know I'm also not bringing home the plastic. And then if I let those plants flower, which tomato is going to flower anyway, and the herbs will flower, then I'll also have something to feed the bees. So (laughs) that's always been really important to me. So how high up were you in your condo? So when I lived at home with my parents, we were on the 25th floor. Right. And bees do get up there. Wow. Yeah, that's um, where I was going with that question. Yeah. Yes, they do. They make it up there. And they're mo- they mostly came in the mornings. Uh, now, my mom's my mom's condo was just 10 minutes away from us. So even when I moved out, I was over there all the time. And her tomatoes always did better than mine to the point where I just stopped oh. growing tomatoes because my mom's were so plentiful that right. she'd have enough to give us, which is, you know, sharing food, which is a, a whole other topic. But um, the bees go up there as well. And she she does a bit of food as well, but she does mostly flowers. So the okay. bees are really happy on her condo. Now, in, in ours, we were on the ninth floor. So, you know, not yeah. too high up, but also not, not mm-hmm. close to the ground either. Still higher than what you might expect a, a bee to be able to... Well, how would how would they find it? Well, this is this is great that they that they actually do. I mean, in one of your videos, you talked about the fact that sometimes bees can be scarce, and in some cases, you have to germinate your own plants. Yes, pinky pollination. <laughs> okay, well, tell me a little bit about that process because I, I feel like maybe that is a situation a lot of people might find themselves in, especially early on before the bees learn to find their gardens. Yes. So, um, in in leading to that, I had a friend who grew on her countertop using one of those grow lights. Yeah, And she wasn't having as much success. Like her tomatoes came up, a small little tomato plant, it flowered, didn't produce as many tomatoes. And so I gave her this tip, which is to touch the flowers together, like touch Mm. the flowers to each other. Or you can use your pinky. You can touch a flower with your pinky and then touch the other flowers. And that will help pollinate them. And hopefully you'll get more tomatoes. So that's a little trick that I still do. Because sometimes you're just, you know, you're there, fingers are crossed, you're hoping for a bee and (laughs) there are no bees because, you know, as we know, that population is dwindling. And so there are these little tricks that you can do and it works with anything, not just tomato, any like peppers as well. I've never grown cucumbers, so but I assume that they also flower because um, they they would have to, right? Right. I don't know. Do they? Yeah, I'm sure do they? they? Do. Uh, you know what? I've never grown cucumbers either, so I'm not really sure if uh, if they do. But uh, let's just go ahead and say that they do, and I'm sure <laughs> yeah. someone will leave a comment <laughs> correcting someone us one way or the other. Um, but that's but that's amazing that 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 process is is that simple. You can just with your pinky just touch a flower and then just yes. make sure you're you know with clean hands, assuming uh, going between all your flowers and and yes. and that seems to be enough in a lot of cases. Yeah, because that yeah. that is how the the pollen gets from. Or, yeah. um, I think yeah, the pollen gets from one to the next. As a bee lands on one flower, 
takes what it needs and then goes to the next flower and that's that's how it happens so yeah you can just help in that process a little bit and that will help you to yield more of whatever it is that you're growing yeah um you tried a car- growing a carolina reaper once oh yes we did that one year <laughs> so that is that is the the world's hottest pepper so we're getting we're getting off the you know the essentials here a little bit sometimes you grow things just for the fun of it uh did you end up trying this carolina reaper and what was that like yes i did so now that i didn't grow from a seed i should say i went to my local nursery and i saw it there and i recognized it because i saw it in a youtube video oh, okay it might have been i don't know great big story or again insider one of these channels and it was a featurette about the gentleman who developed this pepper and it's 2 million Scoville, right? And a jalapeno is something like 15,000 Scoville to give you some context. So if you find a jalapeno to be hot, this is, you know, exponentially hotter. So we grew it and I said to my husband, like, oh, there's the the pepper. We should bring it home. Let's bring it home and try it. And then let's have a pepper tasting party, which we did. So we grew the peppers and they are... I mean, just looking at that pepper, you yeah. feel kind of intimidated because yeah. it's knobbly and bubbly and they're bright red and orange. And Oh, yeah. They, they look gnarly, too. They, uh, they do. They look dangerous. just really yeah, intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if you just crack open the skin a little bit and you sniff too hard, you'll, you'll sneeze 20 times in succession. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. So, um, yeah, we tried them. They are incredibly hot. <laughs> Now, as I mentioned, my family is Trinidadian, so I did grow up eating a lot of different varieties of hot pepper, like the scorpion pepper and the ghost pepper and the Congo pepper. And it's it's familiar, but it's so much worse. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a few in my freezer because you know the plant yielded a lot of peppers, and yeah, so I have some in the freezer even now. Wow. Okay. All right. To be brought out for special occasions. I don't even know what I'm going to do with them. I can't plant wow. those seeds because they've been in the freezer, but if I ever need one, um, it's there. Well, me. there you go. You <laughs> probably have more than enough by just having a few. I'm sure I do. <laughs> uh, so, all right, well, let's get back on track here. I really yeah. wanted to know about those because they just look so incredible. Um, so how early do you start planning your growing? And I ask this because I'm wondering if, if, it's, if you have a little more leeway because you're growing largely indoors and, and also I, I'm going to say partially outdoors with a balcony because you have a little more, you can pull your plants in if you have to, if there's going to be a frost coming, does that give you a little more of a buffer zone as to when you actually can start putting things to seed? I think so. Because, um, you know, if you're, if you're planting in the land, you obviously want to be cognizant of the calendar and the weather and yeah, things right. like that, right? That's why there's a whole almanac. But um, when you're growing, on a balcony in, a, in an urban setting, in a small space, you definitely have more buffer. You don't have to start as early as everyone else. And you don't even have to grow from seed. You certainly can if you want to. And then, you know, you might want to start indoors if possible, because I feel like um, April, May, we get some really cold days, even in the beginning of May. I remember last year, there was snow during the first week of May in Toronto, and we were all so incredibly shocked here in the city. Right. But for that reason, I tend to start planting on the May 2-4 weekend. Okay. So that weekend has a different significance for me than it does for most people. All right. um, that's usually when I will go and start scoping out things at the garden centers, or I'll see you know, what seeds I had from the previous year that I might want to try again. And for me, it's mostly been a lot of um, 
purple basil. I'm really fond of purple basil. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I always tend to keep those seeds and and try again. And it comes up really quickly. I think probably within a couple of weeks or so, you start having those little immature shoots and plants. And so I do tend to start a little bit later just to avoid the cold weather. Yeah. And that's another advantage that you mentioned, being able to bring your plants indoors if you need to. If there's going to be a very rainy day or a frost or just some unexpected weather, you can pull your plants inside. So yeah. just circling back to our point about the advantages, that would be another one, I suppose. Yeah. I, I mean, are there uh, are your plants maybe less resilient because they're not actually tied to the earth? I, d- I can't imagine why, but like growing a, a plant in a pot, does that actually make it a little more fragile? I would say in, in my experience, I haven't really noticed that. Right. I yeah. mean, there are some things that I think you want to do or not do if you are growing in a pot, which is you never want to crowd your plants. That's always a challenge for me because I think, oh, I have a small space. Let me put these two tomatoes in one pot. Right. And I yeah. can tell you right now that's a mistake. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the roots are really fibrous to me, uh, in, in, my, in my opinion. Anyway, when I, when I pull out those plants and I look at the roots, it's a very complex fibrous system and um, you want to give them their space like two tomato plants together will just not do as well Mm. so if you can if you have the space and if you have the pots separate them as much as possible I mean I would also say this is maybe I'm deviating a little bit but it's, it's something that I've had to learn which is don't buy six tomato plants at once you know like you'll go to these garden centers and they'll have six of them Right, sort of in in these small little black um, containers, and you're gonna and it'll be so attractively priced. You know, it'll be like one ninety nine. You're thinking, oh, six tomato plants. Well, you also have a small space, and those are intended for people who are gonna plant in their backyard or in right. their garden bed or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. even though you might pay one ninety nine for one tomato plant, in the end, for you, for you, <laughs> I'm just speaking like the general you, right. Um, that's that's actually better you know it might cost a little more but just go with the singular plant because you may not want six tomato plants on your balcony and then you'll think oh i'll put two of them together and that's also a mistake and it's a very slippery slope (laughs) from there (laughs) yeah uh well okay well this this uh, leads into this next question then i wonder if maybe you have any advice or or maybe we can talk about what what's the biggest mistake folks make when they're when they're starting a a small garden. Maybe it's they get a little too ambitious and uh, plant too many pots, too many uh, too many plants in one pot. But are, are there any other considerations that people should think about before starting? I think overwatering remains oh, yeah. a concern yeah. always. Whether you're gardening indoors or outdoors, I feel like the dangers of overwatering <laughs> should be should be highlighted mm-hmm. because um, I mean the thing about plants are very communicative. They will tell you when they need water. And this is, you know, flowering plants, non-flowering plants, not fruit-producing plants. Like it kind of applies to all of them. The leaves will droop. You'll see they look a bit shriveled, and you'll know that that plant is thirsty. It needs some water. And I, I have friends who have started balcony gardens, and they're just so enthusiastic, and they just love their garden so much. That they're out there watering all the time. Yeah. And you don't really need to do that. So, in addition to potentially being too ambitious and overcrowding, and then things spinning out of control, I would say, you know, observe your plant, learn what your plant needs. Now, most mm-hmm. plants will have that little card and it'll sort of tell you partial partial shade or 
complete sun or things like that. But yeah. you also have to observe the plant too. It is a living creature and it will tell you what it needs. So that card isn't enough. Um, and you always want to feel the soil, right? This is important, whether you're gardening on a homestead or on yeah. your balcony, you, you have to be willing to put your hands in the dirt and touch it and know what that soil should feel like when it's wet enough and when it's not wet enough. Mm, right. And it, it can take some time. And I, I still make mistakes to this day. I've been gardening like the whole time and, and I still kill things all the time. You know? yeah, <laughs> At least <right>. once <laughs> a year, I will kill something. Yeah. And whether it's from overwatering or maybe not the correct light or, or things like that. And it takes a little while to ob- observe those things about your plants and your, your, even your food producing plants. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast about different different things, but I mean, especially with the gardeners, I don't think I've had a single person who does not own their mistakes. Like the, they they all say something very similar. It's like, well, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've killed a lot of plants, not intentionally, you know, but those, it really seems to be that at the end of the day, that is, and I think this is true for just about anything, those mistakes and your ability to learn from them and move forward, and, 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 you know, become a better gardener as a result of them really is what it's all about. You know, I mean, it's only going to help you and, and to really to encourage newbies and people getting started to not be so discouraged about mistakes, because it's, it seems like it really is no matter who you are, just part of the process. Absolutely. I agree with you. 100% plants are going to die. I mean, they're right. going to die in nature. They're going to die at your hands. <laughs> I'm yeah. not saying, you know, kill them purposefully, but um, yeah, you know, be forgiving with yourself. It's a journey. If this is a journey that you want to take, then just remember it is a journey and it's a learning process. Yeah. And we are all of us learning, whether we've been gardening just, you know, for the, for the past two years during the pandemic, maybe it's a passion that came to you recently, or whether you've been gardening the whole time things die, you know, and you will learn um, that, oh, I, you know, I I overwatered that, or I fertilized this incorrectly, or this had a pest of some kind, and I didn't know how to treat the pest, but I'm going to try something different next time. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those things, you know, I'm constantly recalibrating what I'm doing, and I'm not good, I should say, I'm not good at all at treating pests. I haven't come Mm. up with the right concoction. I mean, I could just go out and buy something, of course, but I'm trying to, you know, come up with something that will help me with the pests. And I, I, maybe I should just give up, but I'm stuck on it. I'm mixing all kinds of like garlic and chili pepper and vinegar thinking that this <laughs> yeah, year, right. I'm going to get them this year. But yeah. um, maybe the I, Carolina Reapers. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great <laughs> idea. I should, maybe that's why I kept them. There you I go. I knew there was a reason. It had to be a reason. <laughs> Don't I'm give willing up to die that. on that hill, though. I'm not <laughs> going to go out and buy some sort of pesticide or something. I'm, I I will die on this hill. <laughs> oh, that's great! And and when you find the solution, please let us know so we can pass that on because I think that's fantastic. Yes, I will. <laughs> you mentioned a you mentioned a little bit about how you know you have to be willing to get your hands dirty and get them in the soil. Uh, the last podcast that we that we posted, we were talking about soil. And, and what to look for in the soil if you have a property and you want to start a garden. Uh, but this is a different situation because most people don't have dirt in their apartments. So how are you, how are you prepping your soil for your plants? I mean, is this something, is it something that you reuse year after year? What are you doing with it in the winter? If you, if you are, what kind of considerations do you put into the soil when you're getting ready to uh, plant? Sometimes I do reuse the soil. I have yeah. done that before. 
I've done that. I mean, I know we're talking about, uh, perhaps we're talking mainly about food, but we're also talking, I guess, about sometimes flowering plants on your balcony as well. So if I've planted, um, just I'm going to pick a really simple uh, flower, like a geranium, or sorry, maybe a, yeah, a geranium or a marigold. I I didn't mean to say geranium, actually, because that doesn't, um, that doesn't really come back in the same way. But Mm. a marigold, those seeds fall all the time. Right. So you'll grow marigolds and you'll try to, you know, you'll deadhead them, right? So you'll pick off the ones that have bloomed and then withered and the seeds will fall <laughs> into the soil. So sometimes, not by your own choice, mm-hmm. the marigolds will just come back because seeds have fallen into the soil. So in that scenario, I have just designated, you know, that pot or that trough for marigolds <laughs> because the seeds fall in there and then they come back. And if I am if I, if I haven't had a marigold come back and I buy marigolds, I'll put them in the same soil that I used for mm-hmm. the marigolds, just so in case something does come back, it doesn't look out of place. But um, if I've had challenges with bugs or with pests of any kind, I won't reuse that soil. I don't know whose playbook I'm uh, following. Okay. That's just All me. Right. Right. <laughs> like I'll say, oh, well, you know, this, this pot, I had, I had difficulties, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to part with that soil. I'm not going to keep that soil. Right. Sometimes, again, mint, as I've said, you know, you'll grow your mint, it'll grow the season and you'll think it's dead, but it will show up again the next year because it was in that pot and, oh, it's still alive. Who knew? So I'll just leave it in that pot and if necessary, I will top up the soil. Now, preparing soil for for other things, if I have to replace soil, I will just go and buy like a triple blend or something like that. Mm. I, You know, there are people who get really into the nitty gritty of the soil. Yeah. And I'm in no way experienced or educated enough to talk about that. I go to the the garden center. I'm like, oh, that's a triple blend. Give me a bag of that. That's what I bring home. Okay. Um, so I can't really speak to you know the composition or things like that. But I guess the short answer is sometimes I reuse the soil if it's something that I know something's going to come up in that soil again. And if the soil um, was infested in some way, then I don't right. reuse it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the reason why I ask is because we are hot on the heels of, a, of another conversation about soil. And the idea of, like, if you were to have outdoor gardens and had multiple beds, um, you know, there are different ways of, of maintaining that soil to so that year after year, it actually becomes a little more nutritious and, and nutrient rich. Yeah. And yes. I'm just wondering if maybe there's a way indoors, if there's a way, I mean, obviously you would have to have a way of keeping that soil over, over the winter, but if they were in pots already. And I wonder if, if, there, if there is any benefit to it, and maybe you don't have the answer to this and that's okay, but if there is any way to kind of get that uh, process involved with indoor gardening as well, like reusing the soil and allowing this once store-bought soil to become more nutrient-rich as a result of things growing in it? And maybe what would that look like? And can you always grow the same thing in the same soil? And should you be moving your plants around and that that kind of thing? Maybe that's next level. Mm-hmm. Urban crop rotation. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm wondering. Yeah. A succession because- plan for your for your plants yes. indoors. Yeah, I don't know. Why not? Oh my gosh, we should we should write a book But about I'm thinking this. it would have to be something like that, right, Ian? Yeah. Because, I mean, let's just take the larger principle, which is that farmers do actually do that, right? They rotate crops mm-hmm. so that they're not constantly removing the same nutrients from that soil and stripping it until there's nothing left. I mean, that was the problem with monoculture, right? right. One of the many problems with yeah. monoculture. But um, so if we just, you know, apply that to a smaller setting... 
Now, this is going to involve some experimentation because I haven't, I haven't done that. I haven't really gone that deep. Um, but maybe now right. that you've put the idea in my head, yes, I mean, planting, if you want to keep the soil and you're in a position to keep it, you know, if you are a condo dweller, an apartment dweller, and you can preserve this soil for the next year, consider like, what have I grown in the soil? What nutrients did the plant require from that soil? And maybe it's not the best idea for me to put the same kind of plant back in there because the soil doesn't have as much nutrients anymore mm, of that right. kind. So maybe I can grow something else. Maybe this time I grow something flowering instead of something fruit producing or right. a different vegetable or a different herb, perhaps. Yeah. I'm sure there has to be a correlation there. I, I haven't done the work. I think you're going to need some paper. <laughs> you're going to have to write all that out. Um, yeah. Well, hey, listen, uh, you you try that this year. We'll have a chat next year and we'll see okay. how it goes. <laughs> I'll, I'll report back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might take a few seasons, actually. We'll, we'll see if we can keep going with this. Um, you know, the, the funny thing about my situation yeah. now is that uh, we're in a house with with balconies, like the house that we're in does not have a backyard. So I right. still don't have this, you know, kitchen garden that I fantasized about in my head about going outside and pulling a carrot right out of the ground. You know, I still don't have that, but the house, that, so I've gone from having one balcony to having three balconies now. And I, my level of excitement is exponential for <laughs> what I'm going to yeah. do on the balconies this year. Like right. in many ways, I'm I'm not disappointed at all that there is like, there's a deck on the back. Yeah. So that's fine. That's great. I can still plant on the deck, but in many ways, I'm still container gardening, just uh, on a slightly larger scale. Uh, that's I'm, amazing. I'm equally excited for it. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me, realistically, uh, I'm going to go back to the apartment first, and then we can talk yes. about what you're, you're expecting at this year. In in a year of growing on your small balcony, what were, what were the yields like? What were you actually getting? So... In terms of tomatoes, because I grew tomatoes every single year, it was it was except for in the end when I decided that my mom's tomatoes were better. Um, the yield was was good, but um, I, I wish that I had always yielded more. And I think some of that mm. did have to do with the exposure. Right. Now I had a south, well, a southwestern exposure, so you'd think that I would have this great, you know, sun at least in the afternoons or something. But it was just I don't know if there were other factors. Like we were also near to, well, there are a lot of other condos coming up in that area. So I don't know if the construction or something had anything to do with it, but I always felt like I never yielded enough, hmm. um, but I still had enough to make an entire salad, probably two or three times a week, which okay. is not bad actually. Yeah. And um, with herbs, well, that's, that's a little less intensive and you're not using the entire plant you're not picking so much at one time but yeah. i always had fresh herbs peppers we did a really good year with peppers and i think one plant produced something like i want to say 19 peppers and these are sweet wow. peppers like bell peppers yeah oh wow and i would yeah. go with the smaller varieties i do think that's yeah. probably another good tip you don't have to go with the large size bell pepper you can get a medium size like a more diminutive size pepper and yeah. they're just as flavorful and they're fun to eat and kids like things that are small too so if you have children and that's and you're living in an urban setting getting mm. the smaller cute varieties it's, it's a nice way to get your kids involved too but like 19 peppers i think is still really respectable you know <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've heard of of uh, people in situations like that, especially in apartment buildings, where they will uh, neighbors will share 
the responsibility. Like what one neighbor will be the person who grows peppers and there'll be another neighbor who grows as much lettuce as they can. And then we'll just have four or five different people growing different things. And then they just end up sharing everything that they that they grow and they build their own little kind of community garden. Yes. Oh, that would be amazing. Now, I think I was, I want to say I was the, one of the few people probably planting food on my balcony. Right. Not your neighbor below. Right. <laughs> no. And you know what? I wanted to just lower an entire plant onto his balcony one day and just like sort of, I don't know, with, with some sort of rope or something. What if I just put a plant on his balcony? <laughs> you should have lowered, lowered a plate of salad first. And say, look, <laughs> yes. this is what you can have. Look at this delicious what you're missing salad. out on. Yeah. So. You know, it's funny you should say that though, Ian, because there's, there's this thought that I've had for a little while now, you know, we see all these condos and uh, boutique condos and even high rise condos coming up. And um, one day my husband and I were just talking about it. You know, it would be so nice if on the roof of these condos, there was a community garden. Now we have community yeah. gardens around the city in Toronto. You can uh, sign up in your municipality and you can get a small little patch. It's, a, it's actually a generous patch. I shouldn't say that. It's quite it's quite enough to plant a lot of things. And so you have a lot of this sharing in those settings where in a public park, there's a section that's separated for community gardening and you sign up and get your patch. And those people do a lot of sharing. And I thought, you know, why is it that nobody has thought to do this in a condo setting? The roofs are there, right? Or, you know, I mean, that's the only place I can think of in a condo, but I guess you could do it somewhere on the compound, on on the ground, if you had enough territory, I guess, where you could separate a portion for like an amenity. You know, we have Mm -hmm. pools and condos and we have other things. And why not have a garden where residents could sign up and they could be assigned a little patch and yeah. they can plant there because nobody's doing that with condos and it's such a shame and it yeah. seems like there is opportunity to do it but i don't know if developers think that way i don't i don't think they do mm. and then people would be growing and sharing and that would just be wonderful yeah. it really would and it'd be definitely something that i think as a society we need to kind of start reaching towards a little more um mm-hmm. and that that is unfortunately a whole other conversation that we could have about this uh and we're kind of coming to the close of our conversation here right now i i'm i feel like there are so many other things that we could talk about this is such a really um timely subject and a really kind of joyful subject too i really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me about it today oh i'm i'm so grateful and uh i love chatting with you and just talking about i do feel passionately about this topic so i'm glad we had a, a chance to sit down and chat about it Thank well, you for having me. Yeah, oh, my pleasure. It really shows. Uh, yeah, good luck with the growing season ahead. Thank you so much. And thank you. <laughs> Connected to the Land is a PV Industries podcast produced by Village Sound. And I'm your host, Ian Sherwood. A special thanks to this episode's sponsor, PV Mart, the 100% Canadian-owned, down-to-earth retail chain. If you enjoyed this program, you should consider subscribing. Also, you can check us out at connectedtotheland.info, our affiliated website and a great resource for homesteading, farming, and all things connected to the land. Thanks for listening.